didn't come this year was a million dollars. Yeah. I know where, I, gosh, he's not even in here to pick on, Craig. Craig had a typo, and we can't really fault him. I mean, you get older and these things happen. Um, gosh, he's not even in here. It's not fun to pick on him if he's not here. Um, um, but, all right, so, so <laughs> we, we were just discussing your, your $900,000 donation. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. I, oh, we all get hot tubs. That's what I was told. John tells me we're, we're using that money to get baptismal, heated baptismals for everyone. Um, <laughs> the, um, gosh, uh, but, alright, so if we had gone forward from this point with that, with that hundred, or one million dollar number and, and, and operated as though it's true, um, we would have some problems pretty quickly, right? You know, the first thing would happen is the check for all the hot tubs would bounce. Um, and, and I mean, we just, you can't operate as though something that isn't true is true. Um, and, and what we're going to be looking at today, we're, we're doing the triumphant entry. Um, this is the next section in John. It's a continuation of the book of signs, which is, um, kind of right between the, uh, passion story in John's gospel and the, and the, the end of his ministry. Um, and so as we, as we kind of jump into this, um, be aware what we're going to be looking at today is sort of an approach that some folks take to God. Um, any of y'all go to um, restaurants that have salad bars or buffets? I I, uh, I went to a, I, I, I like I like that kind of eating because I can pick what I want and not eat anything healthy. Does that make sense? You know, or, or I used to go to a Japanese restaurant in Indiana, and I don't speak Japanese, and they didn't speak English. Um, or the, the very little English. And I remember I went in the middle of the day and they brought me this huge plate of stuff. And I, it was just like 14 little bowls of different things. And I, I, I ate everything they put in front of me. And it was, it was all, it was different and it was kind of good. And, and the lady came out and looked at me like, you know, like I was crazy. And we got to talking and it, as it turns out, I didn't understand what I was eating. Um, what she had brought me was basically like the condiments. <laughs> and so I had sat down and like, like essentially eaten all the ketchup. <laughs> um, and, and she, you know, it, it took a lot of back and forth before I understood that, that look, you're not supposed to eat that. It's supposed to be put on things, you know, and, and yet I sat there with my spoon and, you know, ladled it out and it was delicious. Actually, I, 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 I'm not ashamed to admit that I did it again the next time I went. Um, <laughs> But but what had happened was I approached something and it wasn't the main course, right? It was it was the dressing, um, and I ate the dressing. Um, and and folks, it's easy to do that. Um, you know, we do it at buffets where we approach and instead of eating, you know, at Chinese restaurants or you see it at uh, Indian buffets. They don't have those here, but um, where like I would eat, you know, I'd fill my bowl up with like the masala, and you're supposed to put it over rice, and that's supposed to really thicken it up. And I wouldn't eat the rice because it filled you up. And it's just rice. I mean, come on, it's not food. Um, and, and and ultimately, like you know, the, the waiters would look at me funny, but it it it's because I was picking what I wanted. And oftentimes, as folks approach God, and we're going to see that in this text, they approach Him looking for what they want rather than who He is. Does that make sense? And and so as we kind of dive into the text today, that's going to be the context here. But there's a sign that comes out of it, and we'll we'll get to that as well. Um, 
John is writing this gospel. He, he was the last disciple to write, um, and he was in prison when he wrote it, uh, or actually probably not in prison. He was, it was just probably before his prison years. He died in prison not long after. Um, he's writing to um, Jewish believers um, all over the world. Uh, um, this story takes place after the raising of Lazarus, and it's just a series of things that take place that point forward to the crucifixion that's coming, right? And so um, in the previous sermon, we looked at the first sign, which is Mary pouring this, this bottle of oil perfume all over Jesus. And we learned from the other Gospels that this is sort of a preparation for burial. And John includes it as a sign that the burial is coming. And um, so as we kind of shift in, this is the next sign in the text. Um, and, and we're going to go at verse 12. Um, the next day... So this is the next day after they had this dinner in Bethany. And um, at the end of that section, by the way, um, if you recall, a huge crowd showed up because Lazarus, the guy who came back from the dead, and Jesus, the guy who brought him back from the dead, were together and eating. And they're like, well, hey, let's go see him. And so there's this crowd of people there. And Jesus gets up from there and he starts heading for Jerusalem where the Passover is going to take place. Um, and a huge crowd is following him because he had a crowd with him already. And the next day, a large crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was coming for, to Jerusalem. Now, there's also people in the city, okay? Now, Passover happened once a year, and it was a celebration of, um, of God freeing the Jewish people from slavery in the Exodus. Um, and, and God like bringing them out of slavery. And, and the expectation was you would go to the capital and you would eat the Passover meal, which was a lamb. And it was this big party that lasted all week. And, um, it was, it was a requirement. And so, um, the, the capital there, Jerusalem would have been about, let's say 40 or 50,000 residents, right? I can't think of What's a comparable city? This Haver's got about 40,000 people, doesn't it? Yeah, no. Well, I don't know. Anyway, so forty or fifty thousand people, um, and that forty or fifty thousand people in the space of one week during the Passover became one hundred to one hundred and twenty thousand people. Um, so, if you could imagine, all of a sudden there being twice as many folks, there were so many people who showed up that there were not enough um, places to sleep, and it was common for people to camp in the hills around the city. And so, as you approach the city, it would be full of campers. Um, and not like RV campers, but people camping. Um, and this, this enormous crowd hears Jesus is coming, and they've heard about Jesus bringing Lazarus back from the dead, right? And they've heard about some of his ministry, because Gal- Galilee, where Jesus is from, isn't but like 30 or 40 miles away, and so people would have come from Galilee to the capital and would have talked about him. And so all of a sudden there's this huge buzz, and then Jesus shows up. Um, why is this a big deal? Well, at the time, um, the nation of Israel was, was um, a, subject, a subject nation. Um, Rome had conquered the entire world, and Jerusalem, along with all of Israel, was under the thumb of Roman rule. And so they were all, like, subject to the Romans, and they hated the Romans. And every, you know, decade or so, there would be an uprising, and they would try to kick the Romans out, and they lost every time. And they didn't lose, I mean, they lost bad um, every time. And in the previous, actually, in the previous uprising, um, 
it was the Pharisees that led the uprising, and there was something like 10,000 Pharisees crucified in one day to show the people, hey, we don't, we don't play with you. If you want to keep doing this, we'll just kill everybody until we're done. Um, and, and so, like, like, the people are looking for somebody to help deliver them from the subject nation status, and Jesus shows up, and they're all kind of excited because this guy seems to have godlike powers, right? Makes sense because he's, you know, son of God and all that. Um, and, and they're expecting something huge. And so an enormous crowd is gathered, right? I mean, a huge, literally thousands and thousands of people are there. And Jesus approaches the capital on the day that they commemorate being freed from slavery, right? And so things are kind of hitting this fever pitch and they're like, oh, all the pieces are there. He's going to bring us out of it. He's going to kick the Romans out. He's here. And their response, so they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even king of Israel. Now, there's two or three big things here. Palm branches, it is not Palm Sunday. For those of you guys who think maybe, oh my gosh, is it Easter? It is not Palm Sunday. Um, but on Palm Sunday, this is kind of a traditional message. We kind of look at this. Um, Ash Wednesday is coming up, though, so it's almost Easter season. Um, what they would do is palm trees were everywhere. These were date palms. And they would, um, um, it, was, it was a requirement for certain religious ceremonies. You would use these palms. You would wave them as a part of it. And there was another thing, like, like if you go back 500 years, you see the first instance where, like, um, Ezra, when Ezra was um, sort of running the temple system, the palm, right, was a symbol of, like, authority, of, like, the king, it would be sort of like the, the eagle in our culture, right? Um, or, or some of the other symbols we have. Um, and so these palms were a symbol of authority, like of rain. Um, during every revolution that took place where the Jews rose up and chased the Romans out, um, they chased them out for about a year, and then like thousands and thousands of soldiers showed up and ended that. Um, but every time they made their own coins, the only symbol they put on the coins was palm leaf. Because it had become this representation of freedom from oppression. And so, like, as Jesus is approaching the city, they gather up palm leaves, right? And the message is pretty clear. You are here to lead a rebellion. Let's do this, right? And they are hyped. They are excited because they are expecting, like, Rambo to show up, right? They are expecting, like, an action hero, through and through, this is the guy who's coming. And the passage they quote, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the name, or blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. It is, I have to look, I don't remember books and verses very well. Um, it's Psalm 119, or 118, verse 12. Hosanna means save us, right? Or save, I pray. And so they're basically yelling out, hey, come save us. Come save us. And the passage is associated with the Messiah. Messiah means anointed one, and it would be associated with people who were, like, raised up by God to deliver their people, right? And so, like, they're quoting this passage, except it's not just the passage. They add the last part. So they say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Like, hey, you're coming, you're in the name of the Lord. Like, you're our guy, and God is taking care of you, and you're probably king. Guess what they think is going to happen? Like, they are there, they are ready, they are, you know... It is, it is, you know, time for the Terminator to show up. You know, let's, and, and they fully expect it. 
They're waiting for fire to rain from the sky and squish the bad guys. I mean, they are, they're set. Now, every instance, I put my, I left my tea down here. Sorry, guys. Um, don't anybody say anything funny. I'm drinking. Every instance of people like suddenly like trying to worship Jesus in mass or trying to put him in position of kingship, Jesus like shuts him up previous to this. Every time um, they try to make him like when he feeds the 5,000, they start gathering up to make him king and he runs off like he takes off. They're like, all right, well, get in the boat. Let's get out of here. They're going to try and make me king. And, and so like every time previous, he stopped them. He has shunned kind of this public adoration up until this point. This time, he doesn't do that. This time, he shows up and he lets them go. And so as it's recorded, it's recorded that all of a sudden, like, they're given this outlet where they're allowed to kind of worship him publicly, and it just keeps going. Now, some of you all have read this text. Does Jesus lead a rebellion? Are there any swords involved? As a matter of fact, one. <laughs> when Jesus is arrested, Peter grabs a sword and cuts the ear off of one of the guards. And Jesus says, hey, put that thing up. And he picks the ear up and he puts it back on. Like, <laughs> not, not a rebellion. And in fact, actually reprimands Peter. He says, listen, I could call 10,000 angels out of the sky. I don't need your help. Um, and so Jesus is coming and they're expecting one thing. They're going to get something different. Um, and Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. Now, I, I've never... Does anybody own a donkey? Really, no one? Wow. <laughs> I'm, I actually expected someone might. Um, donkeys are apparently not very majestic animals, Right? They are, they are um, good for beasts of burden, but that's about it. Like, you would not ride a donkey into battle, right? People rode war horses. Um, by the way, when I asked if anybody owns a donkey, I appreciate none of the wives pointing at their husbands. <laughs> Yesterday was clearly Valentine's Day. <laughs> good feelings all around. Um, and so, um, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't ride a donkey as a conquering hero or anything like that. You wouldn't ride a donkey as a king. You wouldn't ride a donkey for any reason other than like basic transportation, right? It is the Ford Pinto of animals. Um, it, yeah, no, it probably wouldn't always cooperate either. So it, yeah, that's a good, I told you I'd do a Ford one. You're welcome. I, <laughs> um, and so Jesus gets on a donkey um, just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And so he's on this baby's donkey, this baby donkey. And like, like as John is describing it, I missed this. I'm going to back up here. As John is describing it, the phrasing he uses was common in ancient literature to describe the way a city would react when a king showed up. Like if a king went out and fought a battle... And one, when he came back to the capital or came back to the city, people would come out and they'd be like, yeah, you know, and they'd bring out their palm leaves, they'd celebrate and everything else. And there would be this huge party to welcome him home um, for a lot of reasons, including the fact that he taxed you. And if he wasn't happy with you, he could do all sorts of things. But um, also because he would show up with treasures and slaves and, um, you know, uh, all kinds of all kinds of spoils of war for you to check out. It was like going to the circus. And And so, like, they've come out expecting... You know, and, and John sets it up. He says, look, what they were looking for is a conquering king. And instead of a guy on a majestic horse, we have a peasant on a donkey. Right? 
Um, priests rode donkeys. Merchants rode donkeys. Um, Mary probably rode a donkey to, to give birth, right? Um, kings rode, rode horses. Generals rode war horses, which are apparently even bigger. Um, I don't know anything about horses. Um, his disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered these things had been written about him and they and had been done by him. Now, um, the disciples, basically, they, they don't make the connection until afterward. And John, at the end of his book, he lets us know that the Holy Spirit kind of comes along and starts filling in the blanks, and they're like, oh, wait a minute. That donkey thing, that's from Zechariah, which, by the way, that's from Zechariah. Um, and, and so, like, Jesus shows up, and he basically tells them, I am not who you think I am, right? Do they care? No. Nope. That's right. Thanks, Don. Um, they don't care at all. All they see is what they want to see, right? And they worship him, and they adore him, and they celebrate, and Jesus very consciously acts in a way that is not what they're looking for. He puts himself out there as not the thing that they want. Um, we're going to go on from there. The crowd had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead and continued to bear, to, continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. Talked about that a minute ago, right? They knew about the, the bringing Lazarus from the dead. They were excited and all this other stuff. They had been telling everyone. Momentum had built. There's a huge crowd. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. So the Pharisees, we know twice have been mentioned. They're planning on killing him. And everything they've tried to do to this point is not working, Right? Nothing is working because every time Jesus shows up publicly, he's in a crowd of people. And if you try to arrest the really popular guy in the middle of a crowd of people, is it going to work? Nope. You're going to have a riot, right? And every time there was a riot, the Romans basically just killed everyone involved. They didn't care who was right, right? Like they, you know, if there was a riot in the city, they would just show up with soldiers and they would kill everyone in the street and then they would go home and that would be the end of it because then there wouldn't be any more riot because everybody would be dead. Like, and it happened more than once in Jerusalem. They were not nice about it. And so the Pharisees are looking and they're like, this Jesus person, he's going to get a lot of people killed. He's going to cause some real problems. And, and so like they say, well, you know, nothing we're doing to try and stop him is working. What are we supposed to do? And they say, look, the whole world has gone after him. This is a setup for the next sermon. We'll come back to it next week. Um, what do we do with this? Well, first off, there's a glory thing going on here, right? Um, We've talked a lot about Jesus' glorification. When Jesus shows up and he's arrested and he's crucified, um, we see Jesus in all his glory, not as a conquering king, right? But as a man who submitted to God's will and who sacrificed himself for our sins. Like us, our wickedness, the bad things we do, the times we sin, Jesus takes that on himself on the cross, that punishment we've deserved right and and that is like the fullness of his glory and god is moving him towards his glory why doesn't he stop the crowd from worshiping him at this point well because the glory is about to happen right he allows them to go because he knows it's coming up on the glorification why is this a sign well it's a sign because it's the first time jesus lets people act this way why does he let him act this way because the glory is coming 
And ultimately, the glory of God is not found in. It is not found in. And this is so important. Please listen. It is not found in God's heavy boot crushing the bad guys. Right? And we live in a culture that loves that image. Right? I do not want to watch an action movie where Bruce Willis sits down and talks things out. (laughs) Right? I do not want to see, you know, I don't want to see that. I want to see some shooting, and I want to see some explosions, and I want loud booms. As much as I don't like Michael Bay, I love seeing him blow stuff up, right? Like, (laughs) this is what we, I mean, as a culture, we like this, right? We like, we like the tough guy, man. We like, we like Rambo. We like John Wayne. And, and, and this is who we are. We don't want the other end of things. Um, and this culture was no different. They were presented with the Son of God who healed and talked about forgiving and said, turn your other cheek if somebody hits you. Love your enemies. Pray for the folks who persecute you, who preached a very different message. And when it all came to, what did they look for? You know, hey, you ready to fight now? In fact, actually, the Gospels even record that Peter said that, hey, is it time to go? You know, they're about to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Hey, is the revolution going to happen? We got some swords. And even in the moment of the arrest, he didn't understand it. It's so easy to approach God this way, isn't it? To walk down the salad bar and say, well, I don't want any of the cauliflower, but I will have some extra jello. There's always room for that. Um, or to sit down and look at the condiments and think these are delicious, when in reality we're eating the stuff that goes on top of what's worth eating, um, sometimes shamelessly. Um, my challenge for you is to look at your heart. Um, do we glorify God in our submission and service to the folks around us? Do we glorify God in reflecting his love through and through, serving folks who, who need it? Um, forgiving folks who need it, um, loving people that are unlovable, or do we glorify God by, honestly, sometimes attaching his name to our political cause? Because it happens quite a bit, right? Um, or do we glorify God by turning it into just serving the poor? Well, we serve the poor like as an example of Jesus, right? That's not what Jesus died for. Jesus died for the forgiveness of our sins. We're supposed to serve the poor because we're supposed to love our fellow man. It is not everything. Jesus Christ is everything. Um, And in fact, actually, there's kind of an interesting parallel that happens here. Mary, in the previous chapter, worshipped Jesus through and through for who he was, right? And these people are worshipping Jesus with no idea what they're talking about. My challenge for you is, is God part of your salad bar? Like, have you picked and chosen and decided what you want him to be? Um, Have you tried to force him into a mold that he just doesn't belong in? I mean, because ultimately a God who conforms to my wishes is not God, right? I met a guy um, years ago who um, in AA had said that he wouldn't believe in God because he didn't want to submit to, like, God. He didn't think it was real. And so he decided that his recliner at home would be his God. Guess what the problem with that is? Recliners aren't God. Like, if you can throw it on the curb, it's not God. It's really hard to spill nachos on God. Um, 
ultimately, where is God in your estimation? Who is he? Is he glorious and to be worshipped because of his lowly state, because Jesus died for our sins, because he was glorified in weakness, in the same weakness and, and, and submission that we're called to? Or is God something different? We're going to close with a word of prayer. And, and Do we have a last song? Okay. Um, and we're going to go eat lunch early. Praise God. <laughs> Let's pray and uh, we'll close with a blessing. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be 